two men, two disciples, two men who had been disciples from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, two witnesses to the resurrection, two great candidates to replace Judas, but only one office that needed to be filled. That means a choice, a very important choice, had to be made. And it was made, as we heard a few moments ago in our first reading. Matthias was chosen to replace Judas as a member of the Twelve. I mentioned this this morning because this was a very important decision. And we all face important decisions like this in our daily lives. The choice, for instance, of where to live choice of where to work, the choice of what college or technical school to attend, the choice of whether to get married or remain single or enter the priesthood or religious life. The list of these important decisions goes on and on. I ask you this morning, how do you make them? What steps do you personally follow in your discernment process? What principles guide you in your attempt to make the right choice? Because that's the bottom line. We should want to make in these matters the right decision. Here I think we can learn some very important lessons from these 11 apostles and how they picked Matthias. Their experience of replacing Judas, their experience of picking a replacement for Judas, can help us to become, I think, better decision makers ourselves. Let me briefly share with you these lessons. Lesson number one that we learn from the apostles here in this story. When making an important decision in your life, know what you're looking for. In other words, make sure you have the right set of criteria firmly set in place before you try to decide anything. Notice that Peter and the other ten apostles here knew exactly what they were looking for in Judas's replacement. He had to be all those things I mentioned at the beginning. He had to be a man. He had to be a disciple. He had to be a disciple from the very beginning of our Lord's ministry. In other words, for the previous three years, he could not have been a disciple just from the time after the resurrection. And he had to be a witness to the resurrection in the same way that Peter and the other apostles were. Those criteria were firmly set in place before these guys ever started to evaluate individual candidates. They knew the kind of person they were looking for. They knew the kind of person they should be looking for. I've been a priest now almost 24 years. What I have found over and over again is that many people make moral decisions especially without putting the right set of criteria in place beforehand. And that is disastrous because it usually leads them to make the wrong choice. For instance, when a teenage girl discovers that she's pregnant, she basically has three options. She can either raise that child herself, she can give that child up for adoption, or she can have an abortion. 
But if that young woman wants to make the morally correct decision in that situation, she has to put the right set of criteria in place before she ever starts her deliberating. And her first criterion should be that she will only choose a course of action that will respect the innocent human life in her womb. That's number one criterion. Of course, that immediately eliminates abortion as one of the possibilities. Now she's down to two. And if a second criterion is that the child be well provided for financially, that might narrow down her options to one, namely adoption if she knows deep down in her heart that she cannot raise that child, support that child financially on her own. Another example that doesn't get mentioned too often, either in homilies or other places, is the growing problem of infertility. It is terribly sad when couples really want children and they are physically unable to have them. But here, once again, there's a need to put the right criteria in place before a decision is made on how to deal with that kind of situation. The Catholic Church teaches this. We need to be clear about it so we can spread the word to other Catholics, as many people don't understand the teaching of the Church. The Church says that infertility treatments which help, which assist the marital act in bearing fruit, those are morally acceptable in most instances. That includes, although it's not limited to, infertility drugs. Whereas infertility treatments that replace the marital act in some way, like in vitro fertilization, surrogate parenthood and the like, those are not morally acceptable. The two words to remember are assist or replace. That's the key. So obviously when Catholic couples are faced with this difficulty in their marriages, they should resolve to pursue only morally acceptable solutions. That should be the first criterion they set up for themselves in their decision-making process. Now, I'm not naive. I know that's not always the way it happens. But it should be. And then there's prayer. They say nothing good in life happens without prayer. Prayer is lesson number two. Notice that before the apostles made their decision about Judas's replacement, they spent some quality time in prayer, realizing that God already knew who the replacement should be. In all honesty, how often do you seek wisdom and insight directly from the Lord before making a life-changing decision? I think a lot of Catholics bypass this. Lord, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? Lord, what school do you want me to attend? Lord, how do you want me to deal with this difficulty? If we really believe that God knows everything, then he knows the answers to these questions long before we do. So the key is to pray and then to learn how to listen to God's response. That's why, of course, the Lord gave us one mouth and two ears, right? 
So we would listen twice as much as we speak. And that includes in prayer. We have to remember, too, that sometimes God speaks through other human beings, as he spoke through Peter in this scene from Acts 1. In fact, I'm sure that there was a lot of discussion among all 11 of those apostles, and even some of the others present, before Matthias and Barsabbas were ever nominated. Lesson three follows from this. Before you make a big decision in your life, make sure you talk about it with wise people who can give you good advice. On that note, Bishop Fulton Sheen always said that there are only two groups of people that we should seek this kind of advice from in our lives. Those who have suffered a lot, because they tend to be very wise, and those who are holy. I think that's very good advice from a very holy bishop. And when making an important decision, it's also essential for us to put aside our own feelings and personal preferences so that we can discern what God really wants. That's another lesson we can glean from this story. You know, there might have been several other candidates, good candidates, for the position of apostle who had become followers of Jesus after the resurrection. And perhaps Peter and some of the others would have preferred that one of them replace Judas. But you see, Peter and the others didn't let their own feelings get in the way. They knew that wasn't what God wanted. The apostles were the foundation stones of the church. And those foundation stones needed to be in place from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, which is why the replacement had to be a follower of Jesus from way back then. When making an important decision like this in our own lives, it's very hard not to let personal feelings get in the way of objectivity. I know that by my own experience. It's a struggle sometimes. But we have to do our best to do that lest we make a foolish or hasty choice. And finally, if we are so inclined, we can ask God for a sign, like the apostles did here, to confirm our decision. Although we need to be very careful about this, that's why I mention it last. It's been my experience over the years that some people see signs everywhere. They see signs where there really aren't any signs. Oh, Father Ray, I was thinking about so-and-so because I like him so much, and at that exact moment he called me on the telephone. I think that's a sign I'm supposed to marry him. Well, maybe not. Hold off on the wedding plans for a while. A good rule of thumb is, if you think you've seen a sign from God, check it out with several of those wise people I mentioned earlier. And only act on it if it's confirmed a number of times. When these apostles finally laid hands on Matthias and ordained him and made him Judas' replacement, they were extremely confident 
that they had taken all the steps necessary to make the right choice. May Almighty God help us all to follow their example and to make better choices, better decisions in our own lives. And that rumbling means you better take this seriously. (laughs) 